our DT systems, the Rap 1400 or 1400 if you like doing it that way, but it's the Rap 1400. It's a collar that is super reliable, ready to rock, and it's super handy because you can hold it in your hand while you're shooting your shotgun during duck season. So it's a cool unit for you and your dog come hunting season so that you've got control over any situation. Anything the dog throws at you during the hunt is right there, easy and accessible. Bingo, bango, bongo. If you don't want that one, check out the H. 201820. It's the DT Systems and it's dog tested, dog tough. Hashtag man's best kennel. It's Gunner Kennels, baby. It's a kit. We had Addison on the, the podcast, a phenomenal dude, always innovating our industry. And one of the things that he brought up is it's a kit. It's not just the kennel itself. You've got the fan 2.0 for your summer, right? Like it's hot out. We got to keep that dog cool. In wintertime, you got the all weather kit. Keeps that poor body temperature in there so the dog doesn't have to work as hard to stay warm. They also have the magnetic door accessory that keeps that body temperature in there. And then the straps. Everybody thinks like, oh, I'll just go to Home Depot and get the cheapo straps. Well, listen, they developed these straps so that basically you can lift a VW bug with the two straps. So if you were to get in a car accident on the way to the duck blind or the training grounds, that dog is going to be beyond strapped and stay safe. Check it out. Gunner Kennels, baby. Slide in the DMs. We'll hook you up. It's force fetch, baby. It's the number one question we get asked. You don't know how to fix it? Let me help you. Let me get you to your goals. We built a course bunch of videos. I think there's 13 or 14 videos start to finish on how you and your dog can get through the force fetch process successfully. The link's in the description. Be sure to check it out and let me help you and your dog. Welcome Welcome, welcome. Lone Ducks, Gun Dog Chronicles. This is Kevin. We've got Bob. Hunting season is in full swing. We've been out doing some upland hunting, mostly with Andy. Uh, we've gotten a little bird out there a few times, trying to run down a few roosters. We've been having a great time. We've been getting a lot of good information, good stories from a lot of the people in the Lone Duck community, a lot of people out hunting as well. A uh, lot of exciting things going on tonight. Bob, how we doing? Man, I'm living the dream. I got a little Johnny Walker black tonight, feeling froggy. We just did a episode with Jeremy Moore from Dog Bone Hunter. We talked about shed dog hunting. Man, I enjoyed that, but we also promised our listeners we would discuss a little bit about Andy and our hunting season. We a also promised them that we would unveil your new dog's name pull back the curtain it's like we're on price is right we gotta unsheath it (laughs) (laughs) i don't know if we unsheath a dog name i don't Uh, either but do we start i think dude yeah let's start with it so we had an incredible amount of people on instagram facebook giving us their thoughts and suggestions on dog names for your little five-month-old English setter puppy. And for my wife. Shout out whoever that was. <laughs> yeah. Uh, looks like a Jessica. Don't know what the dog's name is, but dot, dot, dot. So I thought that was hilarious. But uh, after Kevin and Rachel 
looked through all of your comments and narrowed it down. Kevin, drum roll, please. Go. I don't know how to insert a drum roll into this, so we're just going to leave it at that. I just did a drum roll. Mediocre drum roll. Uh, Sound like a duck feeder call. Covey. <laughs> Excuse you. God bless you. What'd you say? Uh, so we went through and we had a bunch of different names. I really liked Maple. Uh, Maple was a good one. Uh, Cinnamon. What? I'm just kidding. Cinnamon was definitely not. That's a stripper running. name. That is. It's not a name I would choose for a for a dog. Phoenix. <laughs> Sapphire. Not dog names. Uh, no. Anyways, ended up landing on uh, on Covey. I think it's a very cute little name. It fits her very well. Um, it's it was been awesome. So I appreciate all the the love that uh, the Lone Duck community has has showed in helping name the dog. Pretty cool. And we're gonna share uh, similar to what we've been doing with Andy, um, and 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 working her training onto Instagram and being able to share that with everybody. We're going to do the same thing with Covey uh, because at this point she half knows her name. Yeah, she doesn't know Jack. No, I just caught her outside underneath my porch in the rain. That was good. Yeah. She's uh, she's not that much of a handful, but she's a very curious, uh, I mean, puppy. Everybody knows how that goes. Yeah, so our goal right now from me being the trainer and where I want to set some goals for her and Kevin is okay. He, she's been here for a week and a half, maybe two weeks. She is getting acclimated to the house completely, um, learning some boundaries and they've been calling her Covey for the last few days now, since they've kind of picked the winner in between waiting for this podcast to launch it to everybody. So she's learning her name We've been doing a lot of treat training with her name and the hear command. So when she's out in the backyard or out on walks on a check cord, calling her Covey here and getting her to come and having it be high drive with the treat training. Um, she's not reliable at all coming nope. when called. So it's all been check cord training. It's all been under control so that we can work her and teach her guidelines and all that stuff. Then goal number two in a very basic, basic sense is get her around our homing pigeons and gunfire. Basically, my goal is to have her come when she's called and be cool with gunfire so that we can take her with Andy or some of the older pointers that we run and let her just experience the outdoors and adventure with us outside without a leash on and gain experience and have fun. But if we crack a gun off, I want her to be really comfortable in that situation. Not phased at all. Right. So our number one goal right now is the hear command and gunfire work, and then the bird work will come as we go through the hunting season and training scenarios with pigeons. What do you think, Kev? I think that sounds good. Uh, one one thing that I was uh, talking a little bit earlier today about was whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, all right. When are we doing some whoa? Yeah. So wow me with your whoa. Wow me with your whoa. So I I'm a retriever trainer, man, and I've trained 
a decent amount of pointers over the last year. And I think, and take this with a grain of salt, because if you ask me a retriever training question, I'm going to give you an answer, in my opinion, that's pretty darn renowned, I guess. You know, like I've learned from a ton of people. But I also think I integrate my retriever training skills into the pointer world, and I just look at these pointers, and if they're bred well, and they enjoy birds and and can point, a little bit they're gonna hold and they might not hold until you get there and so the whole rule of thumb for me is if that dog points this puppy right she's five months old we don't she doesn't know jack so if she points a woodcock for instance and she busts that woodcock like she runs in on it and flushes it we're not gonna shoot we're gonna let it go that's gonna teach her that by her pressuring the bird the bird's going to flush and she doesn't get the retrieve, okay? Or she doesn't get the excitement anymore. The bird's gone. Naturally, she's going to learn to respect the bird and hold her point until we flush it. We incorporate that with our pigeons where I can control the bird via like a pop trap. We use like a dog tra has these pheasant launchers or pigeon launchers that I can remote control pop them, Okay. So if she moves and I'm, you know, farther away, I can from a distance pop that bird and she learns to respect that bird's distance before I flush it. So since we're not really worrying about that right now, we're just worrying about her getting out in the field and coming when she's called and being cool around gunfire. If she flushes a few birds sporadically, it's not the end of the world. We're just trying to gain experience right now and let her learn from the birds. So... I see it as birds make a bird dog. Anthony Farrell, episode three. He was such a good quote. Yeah, dude, I've been using it more and more. So, Anthony, big shout out to you, bro. Um, but birds make a bird dog. So let's get her cool around gunfire. Let's get her coming when called and teach her to just have fun in the outdoors with us and work the fields and work the cover that woodcock and grouse are going to be in. Um that's Sounds like a good plan. We're going to be sharing it on Instagram and, and let everybody kind of take that journey with us. Yeah. Uh, which will be pretty cool ride. So, yeah. So, again, not to reiterate it too much, but thank you all for your huge support on helping us figure out a name for Covey. It's a, it's a cool name, and it's one that once uh, Kevin and Rachel read through everybody's comments and they kind of made a little list. Covey was the winner. So cheers to all those people who suggested Covey. We got our, our next segment here is uh, it's called Homework. Our segment is called Homework because we are now live on Android. Oh, yeah, nice man. segue. I thought I forgot. Look at that. Nice segue. So the homework is uh, if you're listening to this and you've got one of those hunting buddies who's starting to send you a text message being like, hey, uh, hunting season's coming around the corner. What's going on? Haven't talked to you since last hunting season. We've all got those friends. It happens. They're best friends during the fall and early, yeah, probably early spring. After that, you don't really have beers anymore. You don't really go out and hang out anymore. Until mid-August, September rolls around, you're all best friends. Shoot that person a text message. Let them know Lone Duck Gun Dog Chronicles is legit. And they can find them on iTunes and Android. And Google Play, I think. Which is Android. Oh, well, 
I don't have an Android, so go on. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, we're cool. We're uh, but the reason it's called homework is because Kevin had that homework for a month to do. Or since we started this podcast, and you know he was procrastinating uh, to figure out how to get it done. So we knocked that homework out of the park this week. So thank you, Kevin, for that. Um, Point being, share the love. Let other people know it's a good time. (laughs) It's a good time. And if you don't, it's cool. But we would appreciate it. So, all right, segment number three. Let's talk about Andy. So in our earlier podcast, Andy is my little English setter that I bought in the springtime, like June-ish. Yeah. I don't know. But it all June, runs June's together. June's probably summer. Summertime. So we bought her in June. She was six months old. Trained her up this summer. Good with guns. Holding pigeons. Um, progressed nicely. Took her to Michigan, which was one of the episodes we did. And it was disappointing to say the least. She was the quote-unquote boot licker. So she would range out in front of me a little bit. And then we'd get into some really thick, snaggy cover and she would fall behind me and like basically follow me as I busted cover so I changed my training a little bit and then I just simply walked her in thick crap and made her feel more comfortable and successful in thick stuff and over the last maybe two weeks ish I've gotten out maybe four or five times for half hour hour ish and can I tell you, she is a machine now. Birds make a bird dog. Yeah. I mean, absolutely working cover intelligently, staying relatively close and ranging out, not following me at all. Thorns, briars, thick saplings, nothing is stopping her now. She's a beast. It's really cool to see how experience changes a dog. And I want to kind of touch on that on Andy, but like any dog, any dog you're taking out hunting on your first hunt, whether you sent it to a pro, whether you trained it all year long and this is his first season, you're going to have some disappointments. You're going to have some things to work on. You're going to have... Areas where you're like, man, I can't believe the dog did this right. I can't believe they did the dog did it this, you know, that wrong. And that sounds negative. I don't know if I agree. With, I mean, I mean, I, I understand well, where you're coming from, but it's like trials and tribulations of of having a dog and working through that adventure and the learning process. And I'm just saying that there's a huge learning curve from training to hunting. And so, how do we bridge that gap? Hunt hunt so with Andy it was taking her out and getting her in places where she could find birds and also where I could control the situation where I hid pigeons in thick stuff and popped them for her and she had fun then I took her out and we just hiked and we hiked and we hiked and all of a sudden she started pointing birds like it was all has been woodcock thus far but you know she's finding and pointing birds and holding them and doing a really nice job for a retriever hunting ducks it might be that they're bored and lose patience well an hour goes by since uh the last duck you've seen or knocked down 
or maybe, you know, when I'm out training, for instance, I'm going to give you a little for instance here. You know, one of my dogs I've trained, her name's Ember. She's a senior hunter. She's bad to the bone. And Jack took her out opening day and was out from his boat, you know, wading through the river, throwing decoys. Well, Ember thought those were marks. She was going off the wall to try and like, I want that. I saw you throw it. I want to go and get it. When do I, Bob, the trainer, put a dog at sit, walk out and throw decoys? The answer is never. And it's not because I'm a bad trainer. It's because we got stuff to do. Like throwing out decoys is not a part of how I train a gun dog. But maybe it should be, okay? But still, the point is, she knows decoys aren't to be retrieved. She knows how to swim through decoys on land, run through them on, or excuse me, run through them on land, swim through them on water. She doesn't even pay them attention. But when she sees Jack or my, or if it were me, throwing them in a big splash, boy, that looks like a duck down. Boy, that looks like very a similar decoy to when down. someone's throwing a dead duck or you know whatever it might sure. be. Sure. So as a dog, I bet three or four hunts from now, she's going to be like, those aren't for me. There's nothing to get that excited about, but it's experience, right? Or, you know, while I'm training, I'm not ripping off nine shots when a bird goes down, right? I take a gun with poppers or blank rounds, and I'll shoot one and then maybe fake sluice it on the water and be like, woo, got him. You know, hey, did you hit that one? Yeah, I got him. All right, all right. Ember. And send the Do dog. Do you always talk to yourself as a group of people during training? No, not always, but I definitely incorporate it because... Got him again, Bob. I wish I was as good a shot as you. That sounds about right. <laughs> but if you think about it, if all the dog sees is a bird go down, land no, in the water, right. and you send the dog on their name every single time, they're going to uh, anticipate that as soon as that bird hits the water, you're going to say their name. But if you say, you know, bird goes down, nice shot, Kev. Then send the dog. They're going to go on, nice shot, Kev. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. They're just going to anticipate you sending them. The first thing out of your mouth is you sending them. So in a gun dog training scenario, I'm going to make that dog sit, watch the bird hit the water. I'm going to pop another round off and be like, dang, nice shot. Got him. Hit him again. Hit him again. Yeah. All right. You get him. Got him. All right. Send the dog. Send the dog. And and it, it patience helps. and steadiness and mm -hmm. realistic. Yeah, I just try and incorporate some realism into our hunt. Or let's for instance say you hunt out of a canoe, hunt that or train that dog out of a canoe. Get him in and out of a Momar stand, get him off a dog stand, get him in and out of your boat. Try and incorporate as much realistic hunting experience as you can before the dog goes out on the hunt. And then during the first hunt two, three hunts, expect very little out of your dog, but teach them, okay? Leave your gun at home and teach the dog so that they have the highest likelihood of success and you've got the most amount of fun because that's what it's supposed to be like. Make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it totally makes sense. And I think that pairs well with, like, what's going on with Andy. I had high I had like I tried to go in with low expectations on that Michigan hunt, but I couldn't help but be disappointed that we didn't really find anything and she wouldn't really range out. But in the grand scheme of things, how could I expect her to when she's never hunted right. in that environment? 
And so now that she has, boy, it, it's a world of difference. So hunt, train your dog like you hunt, and then the first few hunts, teach your dog and get them ready, you know, for the next 12 years of their life. Right. Cool. So right. do you want to go through a little bit of Andy's hunt that we had with her the other day? We went out with our dad and uh, it's a couple miles from, from where my, our, our parents live. And uh, we went out in some, some young Aspen cover and it was dense, real dense. I mean, we were joking saying that this must be what, you know, you read Vietnam stories or whatever and people are taking – three hours to walk half a mile because they're just tripping over everything. And that's pretty much how our woodcock hunt went. Um, but I, do you, did you count how many points Andy had? We had a good number of, of, well, some of them were like false points, but we had some action. Yeah, we had a lot of great action. So we hunted state land, public land, uh, here in New York, in central New York. And kind of like little honey holes that I've been introduced to over the years. And, the first spot we went to, she pointed one. Um, Kevin walked up on it and flushed it, and I think you took a crack, but it wasn't like a clear crack, right? Yeah, it. Like I said, it was dense. It was hard to see. I mean, it's kind of like it. you're shooting to just let everybody know in the woods that you saw a bird. That's how I put it. Like, well, pow. it's you. There's a flash. You see a flash. You hear. A flash, pretty much, and you see a flash of feathers, and you see tail feathers, and you're like, "All right, well, swing, boom," you know, uh, right? Missed, typical, but still great. I mean, Andy did an awesome job. She pointed right in front of me, um, which was funny because I, I, you know, obviously didn't see the woodcock or anything, but it's wild to think that without a dog, you wouldn't, you, you can't really woodcock and grouse hunt. Like, it's not the same. Yeah, they're in just, theory. Yeah, yeah, you could stumble upon a bird or whatever. But this, I'm not kidding. When it was three feet to my right, and Andy ran over to me, and I thought she, you know, wanted to get pet and some love and whatever, and all of a sudden, snap, on point, like woo, right next to me. This is convenient. I don't have to go anywhere. <laughs> and uh, you know, I looked down, kind of kicked my foot around, and <laughs> what, what, what's your what? There you go. Uh, you know, the woodcock went up and through a thicket of aspen and tangled vines and whatever, and so I swung at it and uh, ultimately missed. Ultimately missed, but still was very proud of Andy, and it was like reassuring, like okay, we're in a good spot, we're here, and and let's go. And it was honestly, it was ten, fifteen minutes into our hunt. Yeah, so we hunted that cover pretty well and moved to our second location, which was thick with them, and we had a lot of false points. So what Can I you explain to everybody what a false point is quick. Yeah. So a false point is where what it could be, I guess. Right. Is where a dog goes on point and there either was a bird there or who knows what happened, but they think there's a bird there and they go on point and you walk in on them and try and flush it and there's no bird. So you release the dog and they continue hunting. But what I have kind of figured out trial and error, basically is we've been going out and we've had a lot of rain. So it's really, really damp and really, really wet. And even if it's not raining out, the it's just wet. And so these birds are wet. And they are choosing to run. So even these little woodcock are running. 
So as she slams on point to where this woodcock is or was in the recent you know timeline, this woodcock is probably now 30 yards away, but she smells them as if they're right there. Right. So, so we go in as we're crashing and clamoring to get to her. and Which definitely was taking us a little bit of time to where the woodcock was probably running. Right. So we get there. Or could and, have been running, you know. Yeah. And there's nothing there. So we hunt this cover, and I bet there's like six or eight false points, right? And we're like, okay, Andy, like to where the point is, like you're not even trusting her. So you like, she goes on point, and you're like, okay, now I'm just going to freaking walk over to her, and nothing's going to happen. I'm going to get through thorns. Yeah, and falling everything. through thorns, and there's fighting my way over to her to be like, ah, nothing good, again. Good dog. You, you, you try it. <laughs> so, yeah, thanks for nothing. Thanks for the thorn in the face. But then. As we got to the end of the cover, where the birds have probably ran to, and now they're hitting a wall of where they now want to flush, basically. False wall, because there was nothing else there. They ran out of cover. They, right, yeah, great point. So they ran out of cover. Now it's like bird, 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 bird. And we're getting shots, and we're, we're seeing the birds that she's probably been, quote-unquote, false pointing, but have ran. Now they got nowhere to run. Point, the bird holds. And we're walking in and bird, holy cow, bird, holy cow, bird. And Kevin, God just came down, shone upon him. <laughs> there was a beam of light. Things happened. Things happened. Andy goes on point. Kevin walks up. I'm behind him. Dad's over to my right. This bird flushes straight up. Kevin Shoots straight up, hits the bird, which is the lucky part. Yep. And the bird literally went straight up, shot straight down, and landed on top of Andy while she was still on point. S scared the hell out of her. And it was the most incredible, funny, we cheered. I mean, it was your first woodcock. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it was it was awesome. It yeah. was such a cool experience. Um, to 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 shoot one over Andy was wild. To shoot one with my brother and my dad, and it's you know tradition for a while to to go out hunting together, and it was just very cool experience. And then to to crack one and have it actually fall, hit it, but yeah, hey, easy. Uh. To have it land on the dog, I mean, it was a, a short retrieve, to say the least, but it was very cool. Um, you know, it was one of Andy's first woodcock, too, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, I, I think, think she's had a third. Yeah, she's had, a, she's had a few, but she's... But still, that was really, still, really cool. Really uh, proud of her. I mean, it was it was textbook. Uh, really proud of her. It was good. Really proud of her. It was a good time. So this weekend is opening duck season in our zone in New York. And today's Tuesday. We get to hunt Saturday. We don't know where we're going yet. We don't know who we're taking yet as far as dogs go, by the way. And uh, that's always a good argument in our family. When we yeah, go we got out. a boatload. Yeah. Uh, but it'll probably, and we might even take two dogs, but I'm just... I'm excited to think about being in the duck blind, being in the marsh, and just watching the dogs do what, I mean, for me, I do it every single day, training, and to finally have it be here, that it's time for us to hunt, that I actually have a few hours that I can get away and do it, 
man, it's going to be a good feeling to step out in the marsh and, you know, hopefully we get some shots. I mean, we don't have a spot that we've scouted yet that's like, oh, it's loaded. It's just more or less going to be like, all right, let's check out the five places we have options at and see what we can do. But in the grand scheme of things, we're going to drink some coffee. We're going to eat some freaking donuts or something and take our dogs out and hopefully we'll we'll have some birds and get to shoot and and get a couple of retrieves for the dogs but man opening day of duck season nothing beats it everybody at work makes fun of me because i have uh mallard duck pants that i wear the day before hunting season opens it's a good tradition <laughs> i'm excited it's like duck season eve it is duck season eve so i'm excited next podcast maybe we'll highlight that a little bit on on how we did and and where we went all that good stuff dogs we took i'm excited it'll be it's like christmas it is like christmas it's better than christmas i you while you were talking i was thinking it's you're fortunate that your duck season is extended year-round in the sense that you're always working toward that moment where whether it's your dog or a client dog or whatever it might be but it's that moment that you're able to give people like that moment with their dog where they're going to see a bird go down and retrieve it. And it's that bond between the two of them. And, and, and it's an incredible moment, but it's cool that you get to do it year round. And it like, it's all built up to, you know, the, the few months that we get to have, but it's like, it's like Christmas. It's that culmination of like, here's what we worked for. Here's all the hunt tests. Here's all the hours and hours and hours and excitement and frustration and, everything into let's let's go hunt it's my time of year man it's just my time of year and i feel lucky that you know and i kind of i said this to a few people like taking andy out for half an hour like i've been swamped lately and to be able to like if i had to contemplate going duck hunting it's like all right do i take the boat and which is why we haven't gone scouting Right. It's like we got to scout. We got to get the boat ready. We've got to get the decoys ready, which we finally did. And we've done all these things, but it takes so much time to get ready. And I just don't have a lot. So, hey, let's go grab Andy and go for a half an hour hike. Right. And, And that seems feasible. But when you think about how many hours and days I've done the preparation with these dogs to get them ready for duck season like i got a duck on man yeah. like i don't care what's going on it's time to duck hunt and i cannot tell you how ready i am to just put everything down and take a dog and a gun into the marsh and crack some ducks that's what i'm ready for I'm getting antsy thinking about it. I know. I just got a little fired up. Yeah. All right. Let's get it's, into some it's of these. It's late night right now, but I'm getting excited. I know. Let's late get night. into some of the questions. We only yeah, have a man. few questions tonight, but I want to help answer them. Let it rip. Kevo. Uh, Justin Steele. Appreciate the first question. Uh, Justin has a German shorthair pointer. Beautiful dogs. And was asking for advice on sending a dog in a blind retrieve, uh, even though he's a pointer. Um, so do you have any thoughts on that? Yep. Yes, I do. So I don't look at breed as much as maybe someone else will. So like just because he has a German short hair 
doesn't mean I can't teach you to run a blind retrieve. Now, let's talk briefly about goals with your dog. Like, do you want it to be a true retriever, like a lab or a golden or a chessie or how, like how I look at it? Like they see a bird go down, they mark it, they go and get it. They, that's a good point. Cause everybody who's got a pointer kind of has different thoughts and feelings as to like, well, you know, I, I don't really care if it holds to gunshot. I don't care. You know, everybody's kind of well, got their own flavor. Dude, the same with labs. I mean, that, or a, a duck dog, everybody's got a different, mm, but fair. my point I'm trying to go with is like, if you want to run your German short hair in the NAVDA system, the North American versatile hunting dog association, right. That we ran Huey in and Izzy and, and they've got a system where, they do what's called a duck search and a duck search is you send a dog into a pond and that dog has to completely hunt independently from you until they find a bird up to 10 minutes. So you just pretty much say, all right, go get after it. Yeah. Search back, fetch, hunt it up, whatever your command is. And that dog leaves your side, enters a swamp and hunts the entire swamp until they find the bird independently. Now, so if that's your goal, that you want to complete this test, then I say don't teach them to run blinds yet because when you teach them to run blinds, they're going to look to you for help. They're going to say, I can't find it. I'm looking at you. I know you're going to cast me towards where the bird is. So if you want to run the NAVDA system with your German short hair, I would say run the NAVDA system, teach them to do a duck search, and then after you've completed that, then let's run a blind. If you have zero aspirations to run a duck search in a NAVDA system and you want to teach a dog, a, a versatile dog, a German short hair, wire hair, Drothar, whatever you want, and you want to run it in as a duck dog and strictly a duck dog, then I would teach it the same way we teach a Lab or a Chessie or a Golden or whatever. I would, the way I do it, it's, it's building blocks. It's a chain reaction of I taught them A, they learned. I taught them B, they learned. I taught them C, they learned. And they pair it all together until they can actually complete a blind retrieve. So the first part is I teach them force fetch. I teach them how to get something, bring, put it in their mouth, bring it back to me, and hold it. Then I teach them mini T. And mini T is sitting them, you know, sitting them in front of me. Let's think of a baseball field. And the dog's at the pitcher's mound. I'm at home plate, and I toss a bumper to first base. I cast them over to first base. Sit them at home pl- or at the pitcher's mound. Throw it to third base. Cast them over to third base. Second base. Back, back. Right. So I'm teaching them how to move with my hand signals in a mini T. It's very short grass. Very confident building. Very easy going. Teach a mini T. Teach them how to sit on a whistle. We've kind of covered that in a different podcast, but sit on a whistle, okay? Then I'm going to teach them a big T pattern, and that's go on the command back. They leave my side, drive from home plate to second base. I stop them on the pitcher's mound, and I can either cast them to first base, second base, or third base, okay? Um, And when they're through with T pattern, I then develop lining pass, pattern blinds, confident building, white post blinds, cold blinds, and go from there. So the process of training a Labrador or a German short hair to run a blind is exactly the same. There's no difference, but it all depends on the goals you have for your dog and where you want to take them. Hopefully that answered that, buddy.
thanks for the question. Yeah, that was awesome. That was very uh, enlightening. I guess I wasn't expecting you to take it in that way. I completely forgot about the duck search. So that's a good point to make of like where what's your end goal and like how do you want to what steps you want to take to get there. Yeah. Uh, next question was Braden. Next and last question of the evening was Braden Kushner. This is an interesting question because I, it makes me think of uh, I will. So Braden asked, "What do we do with our dogs? Are they outside dogs? Do they sleep overnight in like a little dog kennel outside, or are they indoor dogs? And what do you think?" And honestly, this makes me think of kind of the difference between how I look at dogs and how maybe people down south look at dogs because it's warmer. Uh, you know, you can have dogs out in a kennel and it's less of a big deal up north. I mean, man, it gets real cold up here. So to have dogs out here is different. And then also it reminds me of people that we know who have like our one friend who has the, uh, the police dog, like that dog has to have his nose on point and so having a dog inside where it's warmer and the humidity is different can decrease the uh, nose capabilities so it's kind of more of a thing to have the dog outside and in colder temperatures so that it can be on his a game right. i don't think brayden's asking about his own police dog but yeah i thought what do you think wrong. all right so you're not wrong kev in can you say that again well, I'm, I'm about kidding. to say you're not that right either. <laughs> so, you know, I think I'm going to I'm gonna kind of touch on what you just said with, like, the police dog and have his nose on point because if that were true, and I'm not a scientist, so I don't know, I think that's a very old-school way of thinking. Yeah, that's – I mean, I also could be wrong. That's what right. I thought. Yeah, and I that's definitely an old-school way of thinking, and I – don't know if it's 100% true, so I can't speak to it. If, like, what he's saying is if a dog lives outside, then its nose is going to be fresher, if you will, and, and able to pick up on scents versus living inside, and it won't be able to. I don't think that's necessarily true. I don't know, but I don't really think that a dog can smell better because it lives outside. I do... I don't keep dogs outside. My dogs, my personal dogs, live inside my home where I feel like they can build an even stronger bond with me. They can build more trust with me. They spend more time with me. I can read the dog before it's going to shake its ears. I know it's going to do it. Before it has to go outside, I know it has to go outside to go to the bathroom. I get to know that dog on a crazy intense level because I'm with it 24-7. If it's living in a kennel outside 90% of its life, he and I only have a working relationship and I don't get those subtle nuances as if he lived inside with me. So I think, in my opinion, having a dog that lives inside with you is kind of, it's just the new way of being. Like, it's cool. Like, I don't think your dog has to be harder, if you will, like tougher because they live outside and now you can't hunt. It won't be a good hunting dog because it lives inside and it got soft. I do think there's positives of dogs living outside. I think it, it, for instance, like if a dog gets to live inside and it gets tons of, 
um, uh, what's the word I'm trying to think of? Like stimulation. If the dog is constantly stimulated by being inside and being amongst all the craziness that goes on in a house, then maybe it's going to be less likely to be focused on its task at hand during training or hunting. Could be. Not every dog, but it could be. So that's something to think about. Two, I do think there is something to be said about a dog that lives in 70 degrees during the wintertime in your house with the heat on and then has to go and sit outside in 10 degrees. I think there is a factor there where their coats don't get dense enough um, if you bathe your dog too much and so you want like a nice squeaky clean dog in the house and you bathe them all the time to keep them clean, that's going to take some of the oils out of their coat and it's going to make them be a little bit colder outside. Or, yeah, like outside hunting, right? Whereas if it was a kennel dog, then you're not bathing it all the time. The coat is going to be lush and thick and oily and be able to resist some of that cold temp. Um, But still... With all that knowledge that I'm trying to drop, my dogs still live inside. Like, it's still more of a positive for me to have a dog live inside than have a kennel where they've got to be outside. Um, I don't know. I, I guess that's kind of all I got on it. I mean, well, I, th- I think it's interesting to note that, like, uh, our, we share the same philosophy on dogs where it's like, they're around for hunting season. They're around for family birthday parties. They're around when it's cold out and we want to go snowshoeing and go hiking. Like they're more than just a gun dog and they're like, they're part of the family. And so that's kind of what's really cool about our dogs and, and what we stand for maybe is a good way to put it is like our dogs are well-trained and well-obedient in all circumstances. Yeah. And that's kind of what we strive for, you know? Yeah. And I mean, even the dogs in my kennel for training, I have an indoor facility right now where I keep it in the summertime. You know, we've got air conditioning rolling in the wintertime. We've got the heat rolling. And so they're never feeling those crazy extremes heat and they never feel those crazy extremes of cold. Again, maybe somebody out there would play devil's advocate on me and say like oh well then you go run your dog in 90 degrees and they're used to air conditioning and i'm not keeping it at freaking 65 air conditioning right like it's in the low 70s we have a dehumidifier going so there's no humidity in the kennel but you know we i want the dogs to be comfortable when they're chilling and right i I don't want the dogs to have to deal with extreme temperatures hot or cold when the workday is done. And so, I don't know. I think there's pros and cons of both. But if you ask my opinion, I keep my dogs inside. They're my house dogs. They hunt hard for me. They train hard for me. I know them on a deeper level than if they just lived in a kennel. And that's that. That's my thought. I think it's fair. Yeah. So, with that, guys, we've had a ball doing this podcast uh we're what 10 in right 10 we're 10 in we hit a decade we did not hit we hit 10 (laughs) dies same c right so we're having a good time with this man i 
thank everybody. My Instagram has been going crazy with questions, with people enjoying the podcast, with wanting to hear more about the stories we're telling. And I can't be more proud of what we're doing and where the future of this podcast will go. So, hey, if you dig it, subscribe it. If you like what we're doing, check out our website. It's LoneDuckOutfitters.com. Uh, we've got some apparel. We've got some training gear. And if you're interested in having us train your dog, you know we can do that too. We're heading south in January to South Carolina. And we've got, I think, four spots left. So if you're interested in doing that, that's something you can reach out and learn more about. Um, but thank you for joining us. Let's get ready for the next episode. Guys, cheers to the Lone Duck Gun Dog Chronicles. Hey, if you haven't done it already, jump into patreon.com forward slash Lone Duck Outfitters. If you enjoy the show and want to support the show, if this show has helped you and your dog grow together, if you enjoy our Instagram, if we've helped you at all, it's like buying me and Kevin a beer and you get more one-on-one -on -one from me. You get content that doesn't hit Instagram or YouTube and it enters you to win a free hunt with me and Kevin in Missouri this dog season. So jump on, links in the description. We'd be happy to have you and love to help you. Hey listeners, Nick Larson here, host of the Bird Shop Podcast. As fans of this show, you may be interested in the conversations on the Bird Shop Podcast, where we discuss all things upland hunting, from upland birds and their habitat and conservation to the shotguns, bird dogs, and gear used to pursue them. Whether you're a seasoned upland hunter or just getting started and wanting to learn more, I interview a wide range of guests, each with their own unique perspective and valuable experience to share. If you're on the hunt for more upland hunting conversation, please consider subscribing to the Bird Shop Podcast today. Thank you.